guys, I'm Ray Belli, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so via Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash wordsforgranted or click the contribute link on the show's website, wordsforgranted.com. Every little bit adds up. For just a buck a month, which is less than what you all pay for bad cups of coffee, I know it, you'll gain access to contributors-only bonus episodes, and I'll be posting a new one this weekend. It's going to be a potpourri of short etymological stories that didn't quite make it into this episode. I'd also like to give a quick shout-out to another podcast in the Blank for Non-Blank network. This week, I'll be recommending the Mad Scientist podcast. It's a quirky show that delves into the science, philosophy, and history of paranormal, pseudoscientific, and otherwise weird claims. We'll be touching a bit on occulty pseudoscience in today's discussion, so if you want more of that sort of thing, there's a place where you can find it. Again, that's the Mad Scientist Podcast. Okay, on to today's show, the second in our mini-series on Arabic loanwords in English. Human beings have been using chemistry to their advantage for a long, long time. From our prehistoric ancestors who first rubbed sticks together to make a fire on a cold night, to those who later turned this same fire into the art of metallurgy, the mastery of simple chemical reactions, particularly that of fire, was undoubtedly a crucial step in the evolution of our species. Now, the caveman roasting meat over a fire isn't exactly a chemist in our modern sense of the word, but... Why not, exactly? Well, for one, the chemist understands, or is trying to understand, the chemical reactions that he or she is performing, while a caveman sparking a fire isn't. Chemistry, as we know it today, is a field of deliberate rational inquiry. You see, when the caveman rubbed sticks together, he knew that it would make fire, but he didn't know what fire actually was, where it came from, what it was made of. It probably seemed like magic, and the first people who figured out how to use fire to their advantage probably seemed like magicians. Cultural myths from around the world actually confirm this false impression. In 2017, on the other hand, all we need to do is type fire into Wikipedia to learn that fire is the rapid oxidation of a material in the exothermic chemical process of combustion, releasing heat, light, and various other reaction products. That's not exactly a magical-sounding definition. The point I'm trying to make is that modern science is inherent to our modern sense of the word chemistry. In its most technical sense, chemistry is defined as the study of matter, its properties, how and why substances combine or separate to form other substances, and how substances interact with energy. Again, that's not very magical sounding. But of course, even before the mathematical and molecular aspects of chemistry were understood, chemistry itself that is, the chemical laws of natural phenomena, not the man-made study thereof, chemistry itself existed. 
Our cavemen ancestors didn't need to know what fire was made out of in order to use it to cook meat and keep warm. This may seem self-evident to most of you, uh, but in a few moments, I think you'll see why I'm driving this point home. The word chemistry is first recorded in English during the late 16th century. This is around the time when chemistry as we know it today was beginning to emerge as a proper scientific study in Europe. However, as I've already stated, human beings from around the world have been practicing chemistry, however unscientifically, since the beginning of time. So there had to be a word for this unscientific chemistry, right? Indeed there was, and in fact, this very word produced the word chemistry itself. It's a word we still use today, though we tend to associate it more with magic than with science. That word is alchemy. The words alchemy and chemistry are so historically intertwined that it's impossible to talk about one without the other. In fact, we're going to spend most of today's episode talking about alchemy, not chemistry. The word chemistry not only evolved out of the word alchemy, but the actual science of chemistry also evolved out of alchemical pseudosciences. Alchemy has a long international history, so let's get right to it and dive in. Alchemy is surprisingly hard to define in a few words. In short, alchemy was a pre-scientific, quasi-religious practice that most famously sought to transform common metals into gold. Alchemy is also known for its attempts to synthesize compounds such as an elixir for eternal life and a universal solvent. To modern science, these sound like ludicrous ideas, but from antiquity, all the way through the Renaissance, alchemy is a very well-documented pursuit. But there's more to alchemy than its reputation as a wacky pseudoscience. Given the esoteric nature of its end goals, the practice of alchemy blurred the lines between religion and magic, mythology and occultism. In addition to the quest of transmuting common metals into gold and chasing a pharmaceutical fountain of youth, Alchemy also aimed to transmute the soul into something divine. I'm not an enlightened alchemist, so that's about as much as I can say about that particular process. But the point is that the pursuit of alchemy in the physical realm always went hand in hand with the pursuit of alchemy in the metaphysical realm of the soul or something. Even if alchemy never succeeded in turning copper into gold or creating life-extending potions, we shouldn't write off its adherence as a bunch of lunatics off the bat. Like I already mentioned, medieval mystical alchemy actually evolved into early rational chemistry, and after all, hindsight is always 2020. Somewhere along the line of human evolution between rubbing sticks together for fire and creating the iPhone, we were bound to spend 2,000 years believing that we could possibly turn water into wine. Anyway, with that brief introduction, let's take a look at a couple of theories regarding alchemy's etymology. 
alchemy is ultimately borrowed from the Arabic word alchemia. In Arabic, al is a definite article akin to the English word the. This same article is found in many other Arabic loanwords in English, such as alcohol, alcove, algebra, and almanac, among many others. When first adapting these words, it's possible that Europeans misunderstood this article to be a part of the word themselves. So, if al means the in Arabic, then alchemia means the chemia. So, what does chemia mean? Well, chemia is actually not a native Arabic word. It was borrowed into Arabic from Greek. In Greek, chemioia was the word for alchemy. But it's not that simple. The etymology of this Greek word, chemioia, is up for debate. One theory is that chemioia comes from chemia, an old Greek word for the land of Egypt. This name is actually based on what Egyptians themselves originally called Egypt. Chemia, or keme in Egyptian, literally means black earth or black land. The Egyptians' identification of their homeland as the black earth was a way of contrasting its native dark and fertile soil with the barren sandy deserts that existed outside the borders of their own nation. The Egyptian called these foreign deserts the Red Lands. In many translations of the Old Testament, Egypt is referred to as the Black Empire, or the Land of Darkness, and these phrases actually come from direct translations of the original Egyptian name for Egypt itself. Although the Greeks would later call Egypt Aegyptos, which is the source of the English word Egypt, the older name Chemia is attested in the writings of Herodotus and in a Latinized form in a decree by the Roman emperor Diocletian. If this Egyptian etymology is correct, then alchemy literally means the Egyptian art, or even more literally, the art of the black earth. If you've ever heard alchemy called the black art before, this is where that name comes from. It literally comes from a description of the lands of Egypt, not from alchemy's association with the occult or the sinister. But what is the historical basis for this etymological theory? Did the Egyptians invent, or at the very least practice, alchemy? Yeah, they sure did. Much of our idea of alchemy in the West ultimately traces its roots back to Egypt. China also has an ancient history of alchemy, but its influence never made its way into the West. This podcast isn't about the history of alchemy itself, so I'll try to keep the historical portions of our discussion as concise as possible. The 3rd century Egyptian king Hermes Trismegistus composed the Hermetic Corpus, the oldest known treatise on alchemy that influenced the Western world. Hermes Trismegistus lived in Ptolemaic Egypt, the iteration of the Egyptian kingdom which was governed by the Greek descendants of Alexander the Great. During Egypt's Ptolemaic period, there was much cultural exchange between the Greeks and the Egyptians, so it's possible that this is when Kemeoia, or the Egyptian art, 
entered the Greek language. Another theory of the etymology of the Arabic alchemia is that kamiya was instead a borrowing of the native Greek word kumeia, meaning juice or liquid, or extraction or infusion. Kumeia ultimately derives from the verb kain, meaning to pour. If this etymology is correct, then alchemy is best understood as the art of extraction or infusion. Semantically, this etymology is pretty self-explanatory. If you're an alchemist, what do you do? You extract liquids and infuse them into other liquids and pour juices into other juices, in addition to channeling divine powers and whatnot. It's possible that the native Greek word kumeia was originally used in reference to not alchemy, but to the extraction of plant liquids for pharmaceutical purposes. Based on this original meaning, the word would have gained its association with alchemy as we know it today only after the Greeks expanded into Egypt during the Ptolemaic period and encountered Egyptian alchemy. The coincidental phonetic similarity between kumeia, the Greek word meaning the art of extraction or infusion, and kemia, the Egyptian name for Egypt itself, could have created a folk etymology attributing kemeoia to the Egyptian art. We may never know for sure which of these two theories is actually correct, but at any rate, now you know the two main etymologies of the Greek word kemoia before it was borrowed into Arabic as alchemia during the Middle Ages. Arabs probably first encountered kemoia in Egypt sometime between the 7th and 9th centuries CE. In the mid-7th century, Arabic-speaking Muslims conquered Egypt, driving out the predominantly Greek-speaking Byzantine Romans. Generally speaking, Muslim expansionists throughout the Middle Ages embraced the cultures of the peoples they conquered instead of destroying it, and in turn, troves of Greek literature, including Egyptian alchemical literature composed in Greek, were translated into Arabic. From Arabic, these works were then translated again into the Western European languages. For some of you, it may sound confusing to associate Greek literature with Egypt, but keep in mind that from the time of Alexander the Great's death in 323 BCE to the Muslim conquest of Egypt in 642 CE, Egypt, particularly the city of Alexandria, was a cultural melting pot comprising different ethnicities, religions, intellectual traditions, and, of course, languages. When Arabs encountered Egyptian alchemical texts, they found the kind of metaphysical jargon that you would expect, but they also found a wide range of practical knowledge concerning medicine, metallurgy, masonry, and glassmaking. Arab scribes began translating these texts into Arabic and then eventually composing their own treatises on alchemy. The most famous of these treatises is probably the collected works of Jabir ibn Hayyan. His works are known in the West by the Latinized name Corpus Jabirianum. Jabir's works covered not only the metaphysics of alchemy and the practical aspects of pre-modern chemistry, but also topics such as music, geography, architecture, and many others. 
Jabir often wrote in cryptic language, and because of this, some etymologists have suggested that his name is the root of the English word gibberish. This is probably a folk etymology, but I just thought I'd mention it for fun. Now, the Arabic word alchemia had a wider-reaching meaning than the modern English sense of alchemy. In addition to meaning both alchemy and chemistry, insofar as we can call the pre-modern practice of chemistry chemistry, it also meant something like method or way to do something. In medieval texts, it appears in phrases such as kamiya sa'ada, kamiya al-ghana, and kamiya al-kulub, which mean the way of achieving happiness, the way of attaining wealth, and the way of touching hearts, respectively. Hopefully my pronunciation even remotely resembles actual Arabic. Recall that the al in al-kamiya simply means the, so its absence in these phrases doesn't change the word's meaning. The sense of alchemy by which we identify the word today was often called by other names, such as ilm asina'a, meaning the knowledge of production, al-amal al-azam, meaning the great work, al-hikmah, meaning the wisdom, or sanat al-elixir, meaning knowledge of the elixir. Al-elixir is indeed the root of the English word elixir, though the definite article al morphed into el over time. So, how did knowledge of alchemy make its way from the Arab world into Western Europe? As the world history buffs among you can probably guess, the answer is through Spain. From the 8th through 15th centuries, Muslims ruled over most of modern-day Spain and Portugal. The Muslim caliphates in Spain were mostly tolerant of the Christian natives, and thanks to their religious tolerance, many of the Arabic alchemical texts were translated into Latin, which of course was the lingua franca of the Catholic Church. The word alchemia was borrowed into Latin, and from there it passed into Spanish, and then into French, and then into English. Alchemy, spelled A-L-C-H-I-M-Y, is first attested in Middle English during the 14th century, alongside other variant pronunciations such as alkonomie, alkanemie, alkanamie, and alchemistry. At this point in history, Europe began developing its own brands of alchemy borrowed from the Arabs who had borrowed it from the Hellenized Egyptians. Now that we've reached the point in our story at which alchemy has entered the English language, we can begin looking at how it produced the offshoot word chemistry in the 16th century. Except, that might be a misleading transition. The evolution of the word alchemy into chemistry actually happened in Latin. By the 16th century, Latin had long died out as a language spoken out in the streets. But, as I'm sure many of you know, it was still used as the official language of the church, and it was also the language of learning. So, most major intellectual works produced in Western Europe at this time were still being published in Latin. Broadly speaking, Renaissance Latin authors belonged to an intellectual movement called Renaissance Humanism. 
Renaissance humanism sought to revive the cultural and literary legacy of classical Greece and Rome, and in turn, it created an attitude of linguistic purism toward Greek and Latin words that had been corrupted over time. George Agricola, a 16th century German mineralogist and poster boy for Renaissance humanism, is perhaps the first writer to have dropped the Arabic-derived al from the Latin word alchemia, thus creating the new word chemia. He also rendered alchemista, or alchemist, as chemista, and alchemicus, or chemical, as chemicus. Now, it's important for us to acknowledge that these changes were not made in effort to distinguish alchemy from chemistry in the modern senses of these words. Recall that alchemy was chemistry from a pre-modern point of view. Recognizing that the chemia in alchemia originally stemmed from Greek, Agricola was simply trying to purify the word based on its European etymology. In 1555, Swiss naturalist Conrad Gessner published a scientific article called De Remedis Secretis. Following George Agricola's model, he too abandoned the Al article in Alchemia. De Remedis Secretis proved to be a very popular work and was translated from Latin into many European vernacular languages, thus propagating the word chemia to the masses. Chemia entered English as chemistry, spelled as either C-H-I-M-I-S-T-R-Y or C-H-Y-M-I-S-T-R-Y. It also generated some outdated adjectives such as chemic and chemistical. I like the sound of that. Chemistical. Anyway, this did not mark the death of alchemia as a catch-all term for chemistry. From the 16th through 17th centuries, alchemia and chimia thrived side by side as interchangeable terms. The OED records an entry from 1652 that reads, quote, A certain professor of chemistry, which is a kind of prestigious, covetous, cheating magic, would show hands and feet of gold. End quote. I couldn't locate the source of this entry, so I can't put the quote into context for you, but even without the context, the implication is pretty clear. Here, chemistry is not seen as a rational science, but rather as a form of cheating magic, akin to what today we might call alchemy. The OED also suggests that the RY suffix originally was pejorative, following the model of other pejorative terms such as sophistry and palmistry. But by the 18th century, the distinction between alchemy and chemistry as we know it became widespread, probably due to the scientific revolution and its emphasis on reason as opposed to mysticism and faith. This is also the time period during which the spelling of chemistry became standardized as C-H-E-M-I-S-T-R-Y. Chemistry probably won out as the word for the rational science simply because it was the newer word and rational chemistry was the newer field of study. Alchemy had a long history of occultism and superstition, and these were the very ideals that 18th century Enlightenment thinkers were rebelling against. Furthermore, 
Chemistry, without the Arabic definite article al, gave the word a European etymological heritage, and I bet that made those 18th century European Enlightenment thinkers feel real good about themselves. All right, that's it for this one, guys. I hope you loved it. Again, if you want to support the show, patreon.com slash wordsforgranted is your ticket. You can follow me on Twitter at, at wordsforgranted and on Facebook as wordsforgranted. You can also email me directly with comments, criticisms, and concerns at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. Next time, we'll be continuing our mini-series on Arabic loanwords in English, and I hope to catch you there. Be well, everyone. Thank you.